the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Hello and welcome to your favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. Uh, we are now well over the halfway point of phase two and this week we are going cosmic, baby. Uh, so after last week's somewhat successful viewing of Captain America the Winter Soldier, we watch one of, oh, well, maybe Marvel's biggest risk yet, the Guardians of the Galaxy. But as always, before we kick off proceedings, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts. Firstly, it's only fair, considering that the villain in this film is called Ronan the Accuser, that my co-host may now be known as Rob the Annoying. Rob, say hello. I am Groot. Oh, I like it. Uh, Rob's nickname this week, maybe, might not make much sense to Colin. And Colin... No, it You're does. looking at the nickname right now. Does it make sense to you? It does, yeah, yeah. It's from the uh, post credit scene, right? Oh, <laughs> okay. So Rob's nickname this week is how... Oh, I can't believe I have to say this to the public every you week do. for your nicknames. It's Howard the Fuck. <laughs> so creative this week. <laughs> yeah, well done. There were some yeah. alternative ones. And would you believe that was the best? <laughs> <laughs> we believe it so and last but not least the man of the hour the man whom this without his presence this podcast would just be two idiots blathering on about how much they love marvel it's colin the virgin of all mcu related things of course colin right. say hello sorry <laughs> oh, i was waiting for brain at the end but okay <laughs> apparently my name my last name isn't a thing anymore no um, you, well it will be next week but okay. this week you are colin the virgin Oh, lovely. Okay. How's it going? Yes. You all right? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm okay. I'm doing well. It's good to speak good. to you boys again. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we've yeah, been yeah. What did you even know you got? You lot aren't going to know that. Rob, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Trying to. Well, we have another podcast, don't we, George? So right now. We do. There is a lot of sort of. I don't want to refer to it as admin, but there's a lot of stuff to watch. <laughs> there is. <laughs> and as you kindly put it, I don't help myself because I give myself a load of extra things that I do, which <clears throat> no one asks for, and that are stupid. So, <laughs> I, I spent a good 20 minutes trying to think of a name for our Zoom call today. That could have been... And after those 20 minutes, we still landed on Howard the Fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all those jingles, mate. You, you put in too much time into the jingles, which I love, mm -hmm. by the way. You yeah. say that. That's probably the least amount of time <laughs> spent. <laughs> um... So uh, Rob kind of knows the situation I'm in this week. Uh, Colin does not yet uh, know, but I am going to somewhat struggle maybe through this podcast because I've had quite a bit of dental work done this week. So for the last couple of months, I've been having quite a bit of pain, one of my teeth. Um, and because of various lockdown reasons or anything like that, um, they're still dentists is still very uh, difficult to get an appointment. Uh, it got to the point where um, the pain was so unbearable, I had to um, book an appointment, and it was still two months away. So I had I was on a two-month waiting list just for them to look at my tooth. And as soon as they looked at it, they were like, yep, that needs to come out. That's uh, That needs to be extracted straight away. That's fucked. It's Howard the fucked, uh, that <laughs> tooth. Um, so then I had to wait another week 
before that uh, extraction appointment. And they immediately sat me down. They started uh, giving me a couple of uh, anesthetic uh, anesthesia uh, injections. injections around the tooth. Uh, I had about two or three, and it hurt quite a bit. And it always does hurt, but it doesn't usually hurt that much. Waited five, ten minutes for it to go numb. Um, and they said, right, we're going to begin. And they literally took some pliers to my tooth and just started trying to crunch the tooth um, into small little bits. I felt lots of crunching, uh, lots of twisting. And they said, you're going to feel some discomfort, but lift up your left hand if you're in any pain whatsoever. The second they started crunching this tooth, I was like, boom, hand up. I was like, that hurts. And they were like, oh, discomfort or pain? I was like, pain, searing, searing pain. And they were like, oh. Or Number two, free like, injection. Pain, pain, pain. Put us in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, another two, free injections. There we go. Wait another five, ten minutes. And by this point, I couldn't feel any of my face. I couldn't even, it, my, my face was so numb, I couldn't feel myself swallowing. I thought I wasn't swallowing. It was that numb. It, it was really confusing. And they were like, are you ready? And my response was obviously, uh-huh. <laughs> um, so they started crunching again. And I, the first big crunch, I felt, I felt them take some big chunks of the tooth. But straight away, arm up. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that hurts. And then they were like, well, this is weird. You've had twice as much anesthetic as you should have had. Maybe we should take an x-ray. They took an x-ray and the dental nurse, once you took a look at the x-ray, um, she put it very politely. She shook her head, put her head in her hands and said the word, oh, fiddlesticks. <laughs> um, very English response. How old uh, was to which person? I then looked at the dentist and said, this isn't going well, is it? <laughs> um, and they said, no, you've got a massive infection and it's actually, um, it's in your gums now. It's spread to the gums and it's spread to the surrounding teeth around this tooth that we're trying to take out as well. Ooh. That's why you're in so much pain because no, no matter how many uh, anesthesia, anesthesia injections we give you, you're still going to be in a lot of pain. So unfortunately, we cannot continue the extraction. We have to send you home. But I said, I've got half a tooth hanging in my mouth. There's uh -huh. shards of it all everywhere. It's wobbling. Can't you just finish it? And they were like, no, you're in too much pain. So I am. I still have half a hanging tooth in my mouth, and I'm still in a lot, a lot of pain, even though the painkillers they give me were for people who have just had operations. Jesus so I'm Christ. also high as a bloody kite. I was going to say, you're tripping <laughs> out. Yeah, big time. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and, um, Cosmic, yeah, baby. So, <laughs> Exactly. We are definitely going cosmic this week. <laughs> so uh, what, what what have they got to do next week then? Are they going in and taking more and more out? Or they uh, have on a, a very strong course of antibiotics as well. So I'm to going back get in at 8.30 Monday morning where hopefully the, inje the infection has gone and they're going to try again. Oh. So I'm absolutely dreading it. So um, I almost cancelled this week because I thought, Am I going to do it? But I've just taken some painkillers. I'm not on the beers this week for this podcast. I'm on a lot of water. Um, explains so why, here we go especially why you've called me rob the annoying this week because after you initially told me that story i noticed that you sent that text at 10 to 3 and i said mm -hmm. so you likely they were doing this at 2 30 george weren't they Fuck <laughs> <sake>. <laughs> good like three minutes balls Tooth hurty, George. It was spot on. My my uh, appointment was um, one forty five, and they were still trying to get that tooth out by half past two, and about half past two when they gave up. So um, yeah, Rob got it spot on, and I hated that he was right. 
So, hmm. on to Marvel-related stuff. Uh, Colin, again, much like The Winter Soldier, I know that you'd said you'd seen this film before on a plane, I remember? Yeah. What year did this come out? 2014. Okay, yeah. It would Yeah, uh, probably a trip home from Penang, I would have thought. If it, how quickly do they go onto the onto the planes when they come Very out? Very quick. Oh, it is, is it? Yeah, that would have been. Usually. I did, but you know what it's like when you watch a film on a plane, though? It's. Mm. I mean, I, I think you, I was probably using their shitty little headphones, which you can, you know, they're not noise cancelling or whatever. Yeah. So there's only so much you can get into a film on a plane, I find. Um, sure, so even you then, kind I, of maybe you've already answered my question, <clears throat> but once this film got going, you know, did you remember a lot of it or did it feel fairly fresh? There were a couple of bits I remembered. Um, I I definitely remembered enjoying the the zero gravity uh, prison breakout scene. Yep, awesome. But other than that, and to be honest, I I don't even really remember if I fi- I might have fallen asleep for it or whatever. You know, it's like when mm-hmm. you're on a plane, um, of course. But um, yeah, I didn't remember a lot. Just a few bits, and obviously the the general kind of storyline and characters and stuff. But okay, it felt fresh watching it again today. Good. So far, so good. Get the Let's get on with it. Okay, so as always, you relax, boys, and I'm going to provide a brief background to a brief background to the film. See, he's struggling already. Uh, and for, this is for both Colin and the listeners. And as always, Colin, any questions, please ask, and I'm sure we will be able to answer between us. So, are you ready? Let's go. Perfect. So. I think it's to say, and I said this at the beginning as well, that this is probably Marvel's biggest risk yet. It's as, you know, as much as a risk as maybe Iron Man 1 was, I reckon. But you'd be surprised to know that this was actually one of the first films and scripts that Marvel actually got round to developing. Uh, It just obviously took a lot longer than the other entries so far to make it to the big screen. So it was actually around the time that they were making Iron Man, the first MCU entry. Marvel created a screenwriting program in which they would take like a, a whole bunch of new up-and-coming screenwriters and essentially just ask them to write a whole bunch of scripts. Um, and it was from those scripts they would decide if any future films could maybe developed from them, whether they could just take different ideas from these scripts. And it would also give them like a, a little indication for as to any writers maybe they should keep their eye on. And so one of those scripts developed actually uh, in around 2010 was Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was wrote by Nicole Perman. Perlman, sorry. So in her words, we got to choose from a list of half a dozen properties that they uh, that they had that were lesser Marvel properties. There was no guarantee that these projects would ever get made. And there were properties on that list that were much better known. There were things that people had heard of. But I saw Guardians of the Galaxy and I took it. And it's kind of amazing looking back on it how much freedom I was given. Maybe that's because it was kind of far-fetched, you know, this idea that this project would actually get chosen to be produced, um, that I was actually given an enormous amount of creative freedom in the way that I don't think you actually get a lot from studios. They basically said, here are the comics, come up with a good story, choose the characters you like, and we'll just keep playing with it. Now, Perlman settled on the lineup for the Guardians of the Galaxy, so Peter Quill, Gamora, Drax the Destroyer, Rocket the Raccoon, and Groot. In the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, there's been lots of different members from time to time. Um, yeah, it's been like a quite a, a revolving group, as um, the Avengers were in the comics as well. But the main villain for most of her drafts of the script was actually uh, Thanos. And that is until Marvel actually decided they wanted to save Thanos for later, but we'll get into that. Next time, baby. 
Next time, baby. <laughs> so uh, around early 2012, that's when Marvel hired a guy called James Gunn to rewrite Nicole Perman's script and actually direct Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, James Gunn was somewhat of an odd choice or an unlikely choice for Guardians of the Galaxy. He'd previously made some films that were somewhat dark maybe a little disturbing um definitely not what marvel and disney was sort of uh, had their eyes on so um a horror film maybe you've seen it colin or heard of it called sliver yeah i've seen it yeah that was james gunn um a film called a much smaller film called super what's the what's the name of the guy in it rob he, he's in for rain he's wilson he's quite in the office it, actually yeah is is it a superhero kind of He's dressed kind up. In of, a, he's he dresses up bit, as a superhero. Yeah, yeah. I have seen that actually. I don't know when. There you go. He also wrote also, the Scooby Doo films. He did. He wrote Scooby Doo, and he also wrote Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. Mm. So he was actually in the final two to direct this film. Or the the second guy who it almost went to was yet again another very odd choice. The director of the cheerleader comedy Bring It On, a guy called Peyton Reed. But obviously that went. Uh, this went to uh, Mr. James Gunn. So um, he set about uh, reworking um, Perlman's script to his liking. Um, now this was a matter that became contentious shall we say once the film was a hit there was lots of questions as to how much of an input james gunn had he said you know 99 percent of the script was his yet what if you look at the credits at the opening of the film it does say screenplay by nicole perman and um james gunn so um james gunn was asked about it recently and he, he said uh, she definitely got the ball rolling the original concept was there. Um, that was what sort of in the movie. Uh, there's the story and the characters, though. Those were pretty much recreated by me. Someone also uh, recently asked Marvel Studios president, Mr. Kevin Feige, and asked there and asked him about the different contributions between uh, Gunn and Pelman. And uh, his um, he's quoted as saying, much of it had been at least the bones of it had been in Nicole Perlman's draft. The character lineup was essentially hers and the overall structure was kind of the same, but the Walkman is all James Gunn. A lot of the story beats and all of the dialogue that you see in the actual movies is James. And he also um, mentioned that um, Yondu, the character Yondu was all James Gunn's uh, creation and input into the script as well. Because in the early draft, all the Guardians, they encountered each other. The first time they encountered each other was actually in the prison, as opposed to, you know, them actually encountering each other uh, back on Xandar. Uh, that was all James Gunn. And um, obviously, James really wanted to include Yondu in this as well, because he loved the backstory of Peter having been raised essentially by Yondu and the Ravagers. And he wanted to... Uh, develop that maybe not just in this film but he was going to hopefully develop that in future films as well that sort of relationship between peter and yondu and peter and the ravagers so now as it's been the case for the last couple of films we've covered on this podcast um james gunn was actually given complete freedom yet again uh but he was told a couple of things he needed to do or introduce you know in order to fit in with the larger story arc that marvel and kevin feige had planned so this film it had to have thanos in the film he couldn't be the main villain uh, but we also had to get a bit more of a larger introduction to the infinity stones now slight spoilers uh, james gunn still does today have a very very good relationship with marvel but 
Uh, he was quite vocal about the the Thanos decision, the fact that Marvel wanted him included in the script. James Gunn is quoted as saying, there's pressure with Thanos because you're setting up this gigantic character. But in a way, he's not really part of my movie. His presence doesn't really serve being in Guardians and having Thanos be in these scenes was more helpful actually to the Marvel Universe than it was to the Guardians of the Galaxy. But I've always wanted to have Thanos in there, but from a structural standpoint, you don't need him. So that's part of it. And then part of it is the fact that you're setting up this incredibly powerful character, but you don't want to belittle the actual antagonist of the film, which is Ronan. You don't want him to seem like a big wussy. How do you make that work? It was tough. So casting on Guardians actually began whilst James Gunn was actually still working on his version of the script. So actors seen for Peter Quill or Star-Lord were Joel Edgerton, uh, Eddie Redmayne, and Lee Pace, who actually ended up getting the role of Ronan the Accuser. Now, when Chris Pratt auditioned, um, he was actually currently known as the, the lovable idiot Andy on the popular TV show Parks and Recreation. He'd also just finished shooting a film called Delivery Man, and both his roles on Parks and Rec and Delivery Man required him to be, shall we say, quite a big guy. He'd come very close to actually gaining massive stardom in the, in the couple of years before this as well. He had amazing auditions and came very, very close to landing massive roles in both J.J. Abrams' Star Trek and James Cameron's Avatar. Now, his audition for Guardians of the Galaxy, he absolutely nailed it. Apparently, 30 seconds into the audition, James Gunn was like, this might be our guy. But the discussion, was, was, uh, the, the discussion took place as to whether he fit the archetype of what a superhero should maybe look like. So basically, um, give him a bucket of steroids and we'll see him in a few months. Was that what it's was discussed? kind of the case. <laughs> uh, maybe replace the bucket of steroids with a nutritionist and a uh, personal and trainer. Yeah, yeah. Um, just so Marvel's lawyers don't come calling. Uh, but he guaranteed care. both for Marvel <laughs> and James Gunn that if they hired him, he promised to arrive on day one in the best shape of his life. Zoe Saldana as Gamora was actually an incredibly easy casting. She was one of the first to audition and the role was offered to her straight away. The role of Drax the Destroyer it was a little more complicated. The last two came down to uh, ex-WWE wrestler Dave Batista and Jason Momoa, who was mm. quite a sought-after actor after just finishing work on Game of Thrones as Carl mm. Drogo. Dave Batista was then asked to do a screen test with Chris Pratt, both of them in full makeup and costume, and James Gunn has said it's one of the best auditions he'd ever seen. And then he went to then cast a fairly unknown at the time, Dave Batista. We've also obviously got, um, this is incredible casting that blows my mind every single time. Uh, we've got Bradley Cooper as Rocket the Raccoon and Vin Diesel as uh, Groot. And uh, Vin Diesel absolutely loved doing this so much. Um, he actually um, offered to record all of his lines in all the different languages the films were going to be um, presented in as well. So he recorded all of his lines in Russian, Mandarin, Spanish, Portuguese, German and French, just so they could use his real voice in the film around the world. Did you know something about that as well? Mm -hmm. Firstly, this was the first film that... Um Vin Diesel did after the death of Paul Walker. So oh. he, he said it was a massive thing in him getting over, sort of, he was dealing with getting over the loss of his friend and 
playing a character who was so sort of like positive and sort of mm. you know praised life and yeah that kind of thing was it really helped him but also did you know this is an audio commentary so you're all right <laughs> this is a imdb fact oh, oh. imdb fact oh <laughs> not God. a dalek fact it sounded nope. like my dad's clock going off <laughs> <laughs> did you know that groot means big in both dutch Afrikaans and Flemish. So it roughly translates to I am big. <laughs> Mr. Vin Diesel, he's definitely not a small man. No, he is not. So uh, filming on Guardians of the Galaxy began in July 2013 in London. You actually might recognise quite a lot of central London in some of the final battle sequences on Xandar. And the shooting ran all the way through till October. Um, Now, because it crossed over with the production schedule for Parks and Recreation, uh, Chris Pratt actually had to get permission from NBC to sit a few episodes of the sitcom out. Uh, but the showrunner, Michael Schur, uh, the idea was to do a two-part season opener of Parks and Rec in which the characters visited London. So that way, Chris Pratt was a- actually able to shoot scenes for the season premiere whilst also shooting Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, and in the sitcom as well, um, by the time that last season ended, uh, the, the one before it, Andy was still quite a, la- a big guy with quite a beer belly. And now suddenly he is can only be described as hench. Uh, it's explained in the sitcom that all all it was was that he simply just stopped drinking beer. So it is mentioned in Parks and Rec as well. <laughs> so Guardians of the Galaxy hit theaters on August first. August first isn't traditionally a huge weekend for summer blockbusters, but this movie changed that. Uh, it actually opened to a massive ninety four point three million. And it ended up grossing $773.3 million worldwide. This then became Marvel's third highest grossing film to date. It's not a sequel. It's not an Avengers movie. It is the beginning of an entirely new franchise using essentially what's unknown superheroes. Or they, I don't even know if you can call them superheroes. Unknown characters. It was also the third highest grossing film of 2014. Critics loved it. Audiences loved it, and it really did change Marvel for good going forward as well. Imagine what that does to your confidence as a studio, where you can do something like that and go as as weird and as big as this film goes, only for it to still be a massive hit. Uh, which brings us to the big question. Colin, what did you think? Um... <laughs> I really enjoyed this one. Way, that's really very, good. very good to hear. Really enjoyed this one a lot. That's I love that. Uh, and yourself, Rob, how was this rewatch for you? Well, it was the first time I watched it with the audio commentary facts. Just an overview, a little review of the audio commentary. It was mm-hmm. a joy. James Gunn <laughs> is um, lovely to listen to. He's very complimentary of pretty much every cast member at each scene he'll pick out one sort of really small role and he'll be like oh i thought we had to delete this person but they did wonderful work and he gives their name a shout out and things mm. just seems like a real nice dude james gunn is an utter delight uh yes yeah i um, enjoyed it a lot more like i've always enjoyed this film but um it was it was nice today watching it again after i haven't watched it in a, a long time mm. and having the audio commentary on it actually was 
was good, you know. It's all, it, it was nice to sort of um, hear it from a perspective where it was still new. No, I'm in agreement with you. I think this film is a near miracle. Um, uh, it features some of the most uh, vague and, like I said, unknown superheroes, you know, but not just in Marvel, but out of, you know, all superhero properties. It features, you know, two completely CGI characters as part of the main cast, and they happen to be a talking raccoon and a sentient tree. So not only does it work, it's a great, great film. I don't think there's a higher compliment I can give the film, really, other than saying I can actually remember sitting in the cinema watching this for the first time and thinking, oh, this is how it must have felt to be, you know, watching Star Wars for the first time in the cinema. It's mad to me that this is one of Marvel's biggest hits. You know, they're creating all these films with established superheroes, and they were obviously massive hits for sure. But then they come out with these essentially unknown characters, and it took more money than a lot of them. And like I said, just imagine what that can do for your confidence. Uh, and it, it allowed Marvel to think even more outside the box in the future, allowed them to be braver, and maybe even allowed them to maybe move away from the more conventional superhero movie. It was a massive, massive turning point for Marvel. Um, so I am very intrigued to get into both of your uh, thoughts even deeper. Uh, so shall we do a deep dive? Yes. Let's go. Perfect. So... In 1988, following his mother's death, a young Peter Quill is abducted from Earth by a group of alien thieves and smugglers called the Ravagers, led by Yondu Udonta. Nice, brief little um, first little deep dive here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Rob, you might be able to answer this. Is this Marvel's first cold open, or have we had a cold open before? Um, I think this is the first i think this is the first because i picked up on it for the first time as well so yeah it's our like, like opening scene and then we get the big marvel logo yeah. because that was quick audio mm. commentary facts so originally in with test audiences for this film when they were showing it around trying to get sort of an idea of what works and what doesn't originally the marvel logo came before this bit and we went straight from him being abducted to um you know, Chris Pratt's older Quill mm-hmm. and his first scene. And it was Kevin Feige who was the one that said, we need to break these two bits up and, and separate them. And then after that, it like the scores improved and it just worked. And I agree, yeah. I think it works 10 times better that way. Oh, I love Mr. Feige. Um, so although this is a film set in space, uh, we actually, yeah, we're opening on Earth. And I actually think it's a really touching introduction to Peter Quill, who will eventually obviously become Star-Lord. Uh, so any actually opening thoughts on this uh, first sequence, Rob? It's so important. I think if you imagine taking that out. Yeah. And your first scene and only introduction to him is him dancing around the thing. You wouldn't have that context to know he's, you just think, oh, this is a, man baby mm-hmm. without that context of why he's stunted mm-hmm. as a you know development wise as a as a bit of a sort of infantile kind yeah. of kid mm-hmm. um it, it completely works and, and and for how they pay it off yes as well. it's all a lovely setup as well um like and yeah like colin just like we said it does a great job at setting up you know some of the emotion of the film at least it does to me anyway uh was it an effective opening for you yeah, yeah, I thought it was. I actually really like the fact that they left the Marvel bit out, like you guys were saying. Mm. It threw me off to begin with, because obviously most of the time at the beginning, I send you boys a picture of the Marvel. <laughs> of course you <laughs> like, do, yeah. Like, to, to say like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going in. 
And I started it and I was like, what? What's going on? <laughs> you know? But yeah, like you guys said, it, I don't think it would have had the same effect. I mean, just having that little breakup with the with the Marvel logo coming up and that and then it coming up with the 26 years later or however many years it was. Like, yeah, it worked well. Yeah. And it was quite an emotional scene to start with as well. Um, really, that little boy was a good actor. The little kid was a good actor, weren't he? Do you yeah, he's him? great. He started getting a lot of work recently. Um, he's, oh, the, really? he's the kid from It, right? Yeah, and... Um... The, that TV show. I'm not okay with this. I'm, yeah. I'm not okay with this on Netflix. I was yeah. going to launch into a pilot season jingle there. I had to stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sort of echoing on from you two, I think it's a wonderful opening. Um, you know, it's, it's not only a really effective opening scene, but yeah, it's incredibly touching. Um, you know, it's heartbreaking to me that the last thing Peter's mum wanted was for him to hold his hand, and he was too scared to. Um, that's horrendous. Um, and like you said, Rob, but it's also perfectly setting up the ending of the film, which we will get into eventually. Yeah. So, 26 years later, on the abandoned planet Morag, Quill steals a mysterious orb, but is then attacked by forces led by Korath of the fanatical Kree renegade, Ronan the Accuser. Uh, although Quill escapes with the orb, Yondu discovers his theft and issues a bounty for his capture, whilst Ronan sends the assassin Gamora after the orb. So then, you know, once that cold open is out of the way, we can now sort of get right into the meat of the film. Um, I think it spends a great amount of time, you know, setting up this mysterious planet, this, you know, this, this mysterious character combined with, you know, the music's all very dark and ominous. It's raining, there's storms. And then everything changes once the Walkman comes out. And suddenly we get this massive, bright yellow font uh, for, the t- for, the, for the titles that splash across the screen. Uh, the, fuck me. <laughs> that splash across the screen uh, once that beat kicks in. And to me, that is James Gunn, you know, the pilot of this ship, so to speak, putting on, you know, the seatbelt sign to say, you know, we're, we're in for a ride now. Because, you know, we've jumped straight into this opening scene um, and it's a fight scene, it's a chase scene, but it also feels like it's pulled straight out of like an Indiana Jones movie or there's like a Star Trek movie or something like that. So, uh, Colin, yet again, how was this? How was this next sort of introduction for you? Again, was it effective? You know, were you immediately engaged by it? Yeah the the whole of this movie felt really nostalgic to me, even though it's not that old. You mm. know? I, I guess the the fact that the the cassette tape comes from you know twenty six years previous to that point helps a lot with yeah. with that. But all I, the whole time throughout watching this, I was like. One, I wish I saw this in the cinema. <laughs> and two, I wish I saw it in the cinema and somehow I managed to be like 12 or 13 years old because it would have been imagine it? it would have been yeah. my favorite film in the world at that point <laughs> in my life. I think so. I think so. Um, so yeah, it, it, a lot of it worked. I love the way like, yeah, Chris Pratt or Peter Quill's character, like mm-hmm. the comedy balance between like, yeah, his sort of when when he first goes in to get the orb and mm-hmm. he's like calling himself Star Lord and they're just like what you know like that whole that whole Who? thing is uh, yeah no it was really good man it it, it was yeah. a great start come on man it's good <laughs> um, so uh, yeah Rob then Chris, uh, Chris Pratt is Peter Quill or Star Lord uh, perfect casting surely <laughs> yeah I mean you saying about Indiana Jones I remember after this came out there was like so many people doing real good photoshops of Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and you're like I can 100% see it and it doesn't that doesn't come from nowhere it's because yeah. this film like borrows from it so well the thing that people loved about Indiana Jones is that he wasn't perfect he wasn't slick 
he was, mm-hmm. you know, scraping by by the, you know, sorry, George, but the skin of his teeth. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and that's what people like about Star-Lord is that, you know, he's thinking on the fly. He, he, um, you know, he gets shot at, he's on the floor, uses his rocket boots to bl- blast out a hole in the wall. And it's, it's so, so well done and it beautifully shot as well. It just, Use yeah. the slow-mo and everything. It just looks so great. Yeah, that one shot of him jumping towards his ship all in slow motion in all the rain. Uh, yeah, perfect. And I'm sorry to say, Colin, looked absolutely great on the big screen. Yeah. So uh, I guess you're, like, you've already said it as well, that you're in full agreement that you know Chris Pratt is, is somewhat of a star. Oh, 100%, man. It's one of those films where you, like, you, can, you can't imagine him not being... Mm-hmm. You can't imagine that character being played by anyone but Chris Pratt by this no, point. No, no, he, he nails it. Good. Um, so, uh, when Quill attempts to sell the orb on Xandar, the capital of the Nova Empire, Gamora ambushes him and steals it. A fight ensues, drawing in a pair of bounty hunters, the genetically and cybernetically modified Rocket Raccoon, and the tree-like humanoid Groot. Nova Corp officers capture the four, detaining them in the Kiln prison. So, you know, already we're introduced to a uh, Groot Rocket, Gamora, you know, even our villain, you know, Ronan the Accuser, all in these first couple of scenes as well. Rob, does it all happen too fast or is the film better for it, introducing everyone to us so early? It's definitely better for it in terms of the Guardians. Ronan, I suppose we'll get to him more in general, but I feel, uh, in fairness, his introduction was quite interesting, you know, sort of having this ritual and... Mm-hmm. There was an air of mystique about him, like who is he? What's this whole? And he's shown it's pretty brutal from that first scene. You can see he what James Gunn was saying. He wanted him to head be... someone in his first scene, right? Yeah, then sort of like sort of siphons off the blood, doesn't he? It's quite mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, very um... blade, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was really like yeah. I think that's quite a good intro for him. What I liked about that scene on Xandar was Excelsior. <laughs> yes. So we got um, oh, pervy Stan an- Lee again. Another mm. pervert Stan Lee, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he's um, Rocket looks at him and says, "Mr. Smile over here, where's your wife, old man? What a classy <laughs> pervert!" And I had to look up right because I suddenly thought to myself, "This is the first time thinking this while I was watching it." I thought they got that line, "Where's your wife, old man?" And I had to look up. This is morbid, but I had to look whether up whether she when, died yet or not. Had she died yet? And no, she died in 2017. So okay. she was still Thank alive God. at this point. Wasn't bad taste. No, we know James Gunn has a dark sense of humour, but <laughs> he's not imagine. that dark. No. <laughs> so yeah, Colin, you know, as someone who was coming in fairly fresh to this film, I, I just I kept thinking to myself, you know, coming into this film on a blank slate, I wondered whether it was maybe quite disorientating. You know, getting introduced to so many larger than life characters, um, because. Obviously, you are very new to all of this, and you haven't seen mm. any of the trailers as well or anything nope. like that. So Marvel actually did a really good job with the trailers leading up to this film. All the trailers were essentially just already setting up the characters for us. You know that scene where they get to um, the prison, and they're all standing there getting essentially their mug shots taken, um, and the, the lovely, incredible Peter Safinowitz has given us all the information about um, this is Groot, this is so-and-so. And that was actually a trailer. One, at one point, that was just a trailer. Oh, right. So everyone knew who these characters were. Sure, so yeah, 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 yeah. for you, was it easy to sort of keep up? Um, I think Rob kind of touched on it when he was at the beginning of his answer, which is it didn't feel too bad on the on the Xander 
you know, uh, meeting the actual guardians. Mm-hmm. I did feel that when you got into the darker, spacier moments when you were meeting um, Ronan, mm-hmm. that bit was jumping around a bit and some of the conversation kind of flew over my head a little bit. There was a lot of like strange names and strange planets and stuff popping up. And I mean, it wasn't detrimental to the film, but there were a couple of moments where I was like, Christ, I hope I don't have to remember everyone's name like <laughs> over this last scene. So yeah, I mean, I guess... The trailers and stuff probably would have been handy, but um, it didn't. It didn't take me out of the film okay. by any stretch. I felt okay. that that whole uh, Xandar sequence where they're trying to they're fighting over the orb felt very much. Talk about Indiana Jones again. Felt like the opening of Temple of Doom where they're trying to mm-hmm. get the antidote. Everyone's mm. scrambling over this thing that's like bouncing mm. from person to person or place to place, and it's just really well good. Well good. It was well good. <laughs> it was well good. It was well good. It was well good. Oh, hang on. Didn't you have something blo- blokey? That's what that's how blokey would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly yeah, that's what, what blokey would say. That's what blokey thought of that scene. <laughs> it was um, all good. Uh, so, an inmate in the uh, Kiln prison, Drax the Destroyer, uh, attempts to kill Gamora due to her association with the powerful intergalactic warlord Thanos and Ronan, who killed his family. Quill convinces Drax that Gamora can actually bring Ronan to him, though Gamora reveals that she has betrayed Ronan, unwilling to let him use the orb's power. Learning that Gamora intends to sell the orb to the collector, Tan... Oh, here we go. Tanalir Tavan. I'm struggling with names. Quill, Rocket, Groot and Drax work with her to escape the kiln in Quill's ship, the Milano. So then... Let's keep going on casting. Colin, Dave, mm. the Dave, but Dave the Batista as Drax <laughs> Dave the, the Destroyer. His character too much or one of the highlights of the film? Um, he definitely grew on me as the film went on. Initially, I was like, okay, it's an ex WWE fighter. He's playing this big kind of you know bulky giant, intimidating bloke, mm-hmm. and um, I was expecting him to just be very one note, but. Um, Definitely by the end, I was a fan. Good. He kind of grew, he grew on me a lot throughout the film. Mm. Uh, so Rob, His comic any... timing, so good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, so any more thoughts on uh, Mr. Dave Batista, Rob? I think it takes... I, I can't imagine that's an easy thing to do, to play... It's not even playing the straight person, is it, really? It's playing... Yeah, being taken everything so literally. He, he, he his character that... literally does not understand metaphors, and that is yeah. genius. <laughs> He said that he had um, an, an autistic fan get in touch with him and say that it was like amazing to have someone that is a hero that speaks and underst- yeah, struggles understanding that sort of stuff mm. like they do. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. I never really thought of it from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, to, to play it like that and still get laughs out of it, a lot of it comes down to its timing and... Mm. Yeah, he's delivery. Like, I've seen that. Um, it's available online, the audition he did with Chris Pratt. Yeah. And even in that first audition, it's spot on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that his first sort of movie role or big movie role then? Had he done a lot before then? He'd been in um, RZA, did a film, didn't he? Um, the Man with the Golden Arms, was it? Yeah. It's got like Russell, it's like a sort of kung fu film. It's got oh, right. Russell Crowe and. Um, want to say method man i think you're right yeah yeah it's got a load of people in it but yeah he was in i think that was literally one of the first things he had done other than wwe yeah 
and just um, it just propelled him. Since then, he was a sort of he was one of the villains in a James Bond movie. Um, he was incredible in Denis Villeneuve's uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He's even been cast in the in Knives Out two. The sequel um, to obviously Knives Out. Uh, wasn't he, he just in the Netflix release as well? <laughs> Sorry, Colin. Was, wasn't he just in that um, that big Netflix movie release? Army yeah, of the Dead he's or the lead he in, in the Army of the Dead. Yes, yeah. from Zack Snyder. So he's very much sought after. Yeah, he's Christ. he's incredible. Because there's so many good moments during this whole sequence. Uh, you know, I love Drax's intro so much. It, he's such, like I said, he doesn't understand metaphor. So he must be such a fun character to write as well, to have a character take everything so literally. And Dave <laughs> Bautista, he just gets everything completely spot on. You know, right from this sequence as well, with, with Quill uh, telling Drax that, you know, he can kill Roman, you know, by doing the, uh, the slitting of the yeah, throat yeah, thing. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> why would I? Why would I put my finger on his neck? Or why would I put my hand on his neck? And I love little bits like that. Um, there's one point throughout the film, um, Gamora calls him a princess and he takes so much offense to it because I'm not a princess. Um, I like um, when Rocket says um, he doesn't understand metaphor. Everything goes over his head. He goes, nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. <laughs> so good. And uh, that whole scene as well, it ends on such an odd note with, um, uh, with and, and a funny note as well, with Drax walking away with that dude's favourite knife. Um, that makes me laugh. That was improvised as well, apparently. Was it really? That's great. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like you've, you've sort of mentioned the prison break sequence, Colin. It's a, it's a fun sequence, right? Yeah. One of the highlights, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. It was when... It was when I, it really kind of got me like into the film. I agree. You know? A lot clicks into gear because there was a lot. Fr- there was a lot thrown at you in the first. I don't even know what the sort of time frame was. Maybe twenty minutes, half an hour, or something. I'd say by so. that point. Yeah, there was a lot thrown at you by then, and um, this this scene kind of just tied a bit of a bow on that and then from then onwards you feel like you're just in it and you're ready to go you know yeah i completely agree all the characters are now sort of set up we sort of mm. know how they tick drax has now joined the crew uh it makes sense uh rob how's that prison break sequence for you i really like it i mean it's the first time you see them work together i mean they're not working together because they have to or they want to rather they're doing it just because they you know, one's got leverage over them. It's all about sort of like not trusting each other, but yeah, knowing they're probably the best bet they got. And the whole thing where Rocket's explaining the plan and Groot's yeah. <laughs> taking the Groot battery out of the background. It already. Then they just have to improvise. Yeah, that was and the whole fun. thing about the leg. Genius. Yeah, yeah like, it's just I, it's it's written so well. And but the thing is, there's so much good action as well. The whole bit where Rocket grabs the, the gun he's like oh yeah <laughs> jumps on Groot's shoulder yeah I'm like oh yeah it's there's so many sort of like punch the air moments yeah uh you've completely listed all the things i love about this sequence as well uh you know what my highlight of that sequence is is rocket listing all the items he needs and you know one of them being a guy's prosthetic leg and turns out it has absolutely no significance in the prison break <laughs> yeah. itself he just thought it would be funny to see if they could get his leg that's a very very james gunn thing i, I love his sense of humor in that bit it's just a perfect example of it uh, so a couple of Quill, nice cameos as well aren't there in that section there is so the big blue alien that initially uh, sort of threatens threatens him at first is Nathan Fillion, if I'm correct. It is, yeah, doing a voice, but he mm. um he's been in all of James Gunn's films that he's directed, mm. and then there's a uh, one of the inmates from up above when they sort of turn up, 
he's um, pointing and jeering down at them, and it's like a slightly old man, but he is the founder of um, Troma, which is like a sort of B-movie, independent, schlocky horror studio. Mm. And that's where James Gunn got his start, directing Tromeo and Juliet, or writing it at least. Oh, wow. Okay. And he put him in the film, yeah. Very, very nice. You gave me a look there and said, say, I stole a trivia, and I hope that's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my trivia, don't worry. Um, So, continuing on. Not now. (laughs) Uh, Quill's group flees to nowhere, a remote, lawless outpost in space built in the giant severed head of a celestial. A drunken Drax summons Ronan, while the rest of the group meets Tavan. Tavan opens the orb, revealing the Power Stone, an item of immeasurable power that destroys all but the most powerful beings who wield it. Tavan's slave, Karina, grabs the stone, triggering an explosion that engulfs Tavan's archive. So yet again, I think this sequence is, st- is packed full of great stuff again. Uh, we get introduced to the Collector, who we last saw in a post credit scene for Thor The Dark World. Uh, Benicio Del Toro, yet again, having the time of his life. But I think it's worth mentioning here, you know, Rocket. Uh, we get so many little glimpses and hints of his backstory in this film. You know, firstly, in the prison where Quill, he sort of gets a little look at Rocket's back, and there's, like, little mm. shards of, like, metal in it or something. It's it's quite difficult to tell what it is. Um, it's also interesting to me that Rocket has never heard of a, of a raccoon. There's a bit mm. where Quill, called, he's like, I'm stuck in here with a raccoon, and he's, he's like, what's a raccoon? But it's when he's drunk, he lets a lot slip, and his character is actually so full of anger and hate. Um, it's quite an upsetting scene. So Colin... This is a sentence you probably never thought you'd hear. Did they make you sympathise with a CGI drunken raccoon? Or was that one step too far into this journey into the MCU for you? No, not at all, man. I think it's a credit to the writers and and all the people involved because I, I thought about this when the film ended and it's like, I think that two of the most powerful characters for me so far were, were basically Rocket and Groot and it's a friggin CGI tree yeah. and a, and a, like, mm. you know, a talking raccoon. And, um, when he says he doesn't understand what a raccoon is, he says something after that, like I'm, there's only one of me or something like that. Yeah. And it's just before you. And so like, yeah, there's a lot. I hope if there is another film, which I'm sure there will be, I hope you delve more into his backstory and, and things like that. I've got the line here that um, from when he's drunk that George is talking about, because I remember it being the part in the film and I was like, okay, I'm interested. I, I want to know mm. more about him. Because he says, uh, so Drax has been sort of fighting with him, basically, and sort of taunting him, calling him, isn't he calling him vermin? Yeah. And um, he says, uh, he thinks I'm a stupid thing. He does. I didn't ask to get made. I didn't ask to be torn apart and put back together over and over and turned into some stupid little monster. Like, that is, I mean, for, for essentially, a, a, I wouldn't say it's a kid's film, really. No. I wouldn't say, like, very young kids. I'd say, like, over the age of 10 onwards. Yeah, it, it's sort of touching on tones that are different to what we'd seen previously. Yeah. I mean, I think Winter Soldier was the first to start off those darker tones. and Yeah, you guys said, didn't you, that that was sort of, that was a new kind of turn of a page into something a little bit more adult. It yeah, still appeals they, to they kids. they realised that their audience was actually quite a mature audience. And- it's like, like the, the, there was a line that um, Chris Pratt says in this when he talks about, 
Oh yeah, it would be different if you brought a UV light uh, in. If the you ship. had a backlight like, in here, yeah, it looked like a it. Jackson yeah, yeah, Pollock yeah. painting. It's a Jackson Pollock. That's the one. Yeah, that, <laughs> I, that I remember laughing. in the cinema looking around <laughs> to see all the kids and being like, "Oh, I'm so glad they don't get that." <laughs> but that's that's but that in itself. <laughs> oh, <here we> go. <laughs> for God's sake! Although my son's just woke up, so I'll do. I'll, I'll leave the trumpet in the case for next time. The Jackson Pollock <laughs> painting was um, an improvised joke between Gunn and Pratt on the actual day of filming. Nice. It's supposed to be Gamora saying, this ship is a mess, and walking off, and that was the end of the scene. And then <laughs> Chris Pratt said, yeah, you think this is a, a mess, you should put a UV light on it, and left it there. And then James Gunn gleefully ran on, on set and was like, say it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> and they put it in as a way to sort of make test audiences laugh. And then thinking it would never stay in. But then, because it got such a big laugh, possibly the biggest laugh of the whole film, Kevin yeah. Feige kind of had no choice but to keep it in. This is a Disney film. Mm. Mental. <laughs> Madness. Um, <laughs> and it's yet again, um, we also get a small introduction to the Infinity Stones as well. Uh, in quite- Christ, yeah, those things are powerful. Yeah, it's quite an expositional scene with the collector about these um, Infinity Stones. Yes, he's quite powerful Infinity Stones. So, um, Colin, was this introduction to these stones handled well, or did it sort of halt the movie's plot again? I guess by this point, I mean, I already know that the Infinity Stones play a huge part in, you know, where things go in mm. the MCU. So it maybe I, made you sit up and listen a bit more. It did for me, and, and I guess... It probably did for you guys as well, because I can imagine you, you know, you've probably been doing your research and stuff after mm. what you've already found out about the certain Infinity Stones. And I mean, I guess, I guess this is in some way related to the comic series, the Infinity Stones and stuff. I imagine so. Maybe um, some there is knew it. Uh, some comic <clears throat> issues known as um, we end up getting um, something called an Infinity War. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah, I think it, it was it was needed knowing that this is an MCU film. I think as a standalone film. You know, he probably could have glossed over that and no one really would have known or cared much more about it. But And it's probably the same with the Thanos thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you could have taken him out and the film wouldn't have really been uh, that much different. Yeah. But with the fact it's tying in with the rest of the series. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it, was a good, it was a good introduction to just see the the power that these things have and you know and yeah. i guess we'll see more a lot more of them down the road rob what about you you know when you first saw this in the cinema maybe did you did you care did you sit up and pay attention or yet again did you just want the film to continue with its main plot oh no i was definitely interested i think as well as a as a nerd i was trying to spot all the little things in the background as well <laughs> you can see at one point when she's the karina the the woman who works for the collector She's um, cleaning like a case and it's got a dark elf and a Thor of the Dark World in it. Yeah. And then there's, um, I think that's a Chitauri from um, Avengers in one of the cases as well. So I was sort of like, oh, what's that? What's that? Watched it. <laughs> but I think like, it's, it's not like the end of Thor, isn't it? Like you said, at the, uh, at the end of the Dark World, it's the first time they mention it, it's an Infinity Stone. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I was just sort of getting more into the fact that they were talking about them more and sort of leaning into that direction it wasn't just like oh is that an easter egg we might not pick up on yeah is that a next time baby thing or well, is this a it's real at the thing? end of the dark world when they hand him an infinity stone and i don't think they've quite known they've handed him an infinity stone because they hand mm. him the ether don't they and it's yeah. only when they leave he's like um you know a one down was it yeah yeah, yeah. five or two go? down yeah yeah 
So uh, we know he's sort of collecting these stones. Um, but yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Ronan arrives and easily defeats Drax, while the others flee by ship, pursued by Ronan's followers and Gamora's adoptive sister, Nebula. Nebula destroys Gamora's ship, leaving her floating in space, and Ronan's fighters capture the orb. So, let's get into him then. Colin, how was Ronan the Accuser as a villain for you? He was okay. It was not not really a, a focal point for me in the film. Mm-hmm. He just played the kind of the, the the bad guy with the face paint and that was about it really. Mm-hmm. I don't want to like, it didn't really take anything away from the film for me though. It kind of felt like he obviously it needed to be there to progress the storyline. Yep. But for me, the film wasn't really about who the villain was. It mm-hmm. was more about getting to know this group of characters and how they're like this is band of misfits kind of joined together. And it's a good way to look stuff. at it. So he was no Winter Soldier. I mean, how much can you do with with a character like that? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he didn't have a whole lot of dialogue. I don't from memory. No. Um, and I mean, yeah, it was it was interesting at the beginning when you first got introduced to him. You could you saw just how sort of powerful he was. Yeah. And um, that he was clearly a not a nice dude. But other than that, I mean. He was okay. Yeah. Um, what about you, Rob? <laughs> I agree with Colin. I think it's it's it is really about bringing that team together. But you need something for them to come together about, mm. and that's pretty much all he is. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love. I would much more prefer there to be a bit more depth in the villain. They kind of hint at the fact that he's part of this war that's gone on between Xandar and decree and things like that that's all we get really, think, isn't it it's there's there's hints yeah. that there's war, there's been a war see in a lesser film say like thor the dark world the prologue would have been that it would have been setting up ronan and it would have been about the Cree and his war mm. and all this stuff and then we would have cut to peter quill so i prefer that it turns it's looking at those main characters mm. more than it's looking at him Yeah, so describing Ronan the Accuser, uh, James Gunn has said he's the primary villain of this film and he's a really twisted guy. He has a really religious bent in this film. He's a very sick man and he has a twisted view of what morality is. Strength is virtue and weakness is sin and that's what he lives by. I I think he's very scary because of his beliefs which are real to him. Now, I think it's clear that they wanted, you know, Roman to be some sort of, I guess, like, religious extremist? I don't know. Um, but I I would have liked, we've already said it, but I would have liked a bit more of a, a look into what his views actually were. You know, twisted, mm-hmm. or ne- twisted or not, I get what he wants to do, which is obviously kill a whole race of people, but I want more of the why. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. maybe if we got some of the why, we could have actually maybe garnered a little bit of sympathy with him uh, and therefore maybe make the film a little bit more complicated morally and things like that. Because I've mentioned it before, that's always something I quite like with my villains. Um, Unfortunately, Ronan is the weakest part of the movie for me. So bear with me for this sequence. It's quite a lengthy one. So (laughs) Quill contacts Yondu before following Gamora into space, giving her his helmet to survive. Yondu arrives and then retrieves the pair. Rocket, Drax and Groot threaten to attack Yondu's ship to rescue them, but Quill negotiates a truce, promising the orb to Yondu. Quill's group agrees that facing Ronan means certain death, but they cannot let him use the Infinity Stone to destroy the galaxy. On Ronan's flagship, the Dark Aster, 
Ronan embeds the stone into his warhammer, taking the power for himself. He contacts Thanos, threatening to kill him after first destroying Xandar. Hateful of her adoptive father, Nebula allies with Ronan. So then let's maybe discuss Thanos. Um, because before this film, we'd only ever seen him in the post credit scene for the Avengers. Um, no, one, no one was even really cast as Thanos then. Um, he was simply just a CGI sketch, I, I, I guess. And um, obviously he had no dialogue as well. But now, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, he is voiced by Josh Brolin. It's very clear that maybe Thanos is being set up here as quite a major villain. So, Colin, did it do that? Do you feel like they set him up well enough? Are you excited to see more of Thanos, or did they sort of drop the ball a little bit? Um, I would, I would say neither of those um, comments. It's to me, it's intriguing enough. Clearly, they're trying to make him look like this. I mean, I think they might even say that he's one of the most powerful, or most dangerous people in. Mm-hmm. On, uh, there's a line in it at some point. Yeah. So clearly, they're trying to make him out to be this. You know, a massive threat, which I'm sure we'll f- we'll figure out or be told as to why later on in the films. But in this one, it was a bit like it was just a big bloke in a chair that, you know, it, that was it. Like, you know, I mean, in again, full, that, Stanis, full agreement. Like I said a, a few minutes ago, the Thanos bit you could have taken it out and it literally wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah, unfortunately, but I do, James I Gunn do get feels the same. I do understand what. Yeah, I understand why it's in there because clearly it. it it has um, more to do down the road in the series. Yeah, um, in full agreement with you, mate. Don't worry about that. So, uh, yeah, oh, Rob, what about you? The setup of Thanos, how did they do? I really thought it was effective when he was almost like a hologram. You know, when it was just his face on that wall when he was talking to Ronan. And mm. I think you could have done it just... The, him sitting in the seat <laughs> is so shit. <laughs> he snaps his assistant's head doesn't he like twist his head completely around Ronan mm-hmm. and then mm. like understand that's a way of showing that oh well this guy was sort of bossing Loki around last time and now this guy can snap his neck easy but what's to stop Thanos just jumping out of his chair and going oi mate <laughs> yeah. I like him that's my personal assistant I've had him around <laughs> <Yeah>. for ages <laughs> he's got extra <laughs> fingers I'll let you know your mind wonder what I use him for but Ronan oh, God's sake. it's not on it was very much like, um, like, like an old man who just has his singular chair and just never gets never out moves. of it. It's just you know yes. what I mean, like just telling <laughs> people off. Kind of remi- exactly. He's got a, he's got a pack of Werther's original with the arm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree with both of you. I think the ball is slightly dropped here. Uh, it does the biggest sin of telling us all the things our villain is and has done instead of showing us how villainous mm. he is. Um, it's something I always come back to and it's Star Trek Into Darkness. They do it just uh, as badly as well. So obviously the villain in Star Trek Into Darkness is Khan and as soon as it's revealed who the villain is they literally call up another character to say we're dealing with this Khan fella. Tell us more about him. And he's like he's he's one of the most dangerous individuals in the universe. And it's nothing more annoying than us getting told how evil someone is. 
Yeah. That means nothing to me. Especially when you've only seen him sat on a sat in a chair. And all we do is see it might as well yeah. be a toilet as well. He might he might as well be sitting there taking a dump. It's gonna be <laughs> I do agree with Rob though. It did it was more effective when it was the hologram and of he course. was having the back and forth with Ronan. That that was better. Yeah. But it still wasn't enough, I don't think. Because then you've got no reason why he wouldn't get up and batter ten times of crap out well, of Ronan. The, the thing is, yeah, and also when, when you just see him sat in that chair the whole time, the only thing I was thinking is like what else does this bloke do? Like, is he literally just in this chair every minute of the day? Yeah. Like, what is he doing? No, I agree. So, obviously, you know? Marvel have got big plans for Thanos, but he spends his entire film sitting in this floating toilet, giving, you know, giving out threats and telling people to go do things for him. Yeah, exactly. He's no supervillain yeah. yet, that's for sure. And do you know what I just realised he is? Go on. Have you seen Wally? Yes. Yeah. You know the fate of humankind? They're just floating around as big fat lumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And everything's done for them. He's one of them. That's Thanos, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, poor Thanos in this film. But who knows, Colin, we might get to see him again. Oh, I know. I'm sure we do. Uh, so, next time, baby. Next time, baby. Uh, so the Ravagers <clears throat> and Quill's group join the Nova Corps to confront the Dark Aster at Xandar, uh, with Quill's group breaching the Dark Aster with the Milano. Ronan uses his empowered Warhammer to destroy the entire Nova Corps fleet. Drax kills Korath, and Gamora defeats Nebula, who then escapes. But the group find themselves outmatched by Ronan's power until Rocket crashes a Ravager ship through the Dark Aster. I love some of the beats here um, in the fight in the in the Dark Aster. There's so many little moments that are beautiful, from Groot's like illuminating the room they're in once they crash inside of it. And I love the scene where it starts off so heartfelt with Drax telling everyone how good it feels to have friends again. So he, he says, Peter Quill, you are my friend. Uh, big dumb tree, you are my friend. Even you, you green whore. Um, before she <laughs> stops him, uh, absolutely slays me. Uh, but of course, in this scene as well, we get you know a lovely little payoff, as we mentioned at the beginning, when one of our henchmen from the beginning of the film calls Quill Star-Lord, and Chris Pratt nails the moment with finally um so you know this is almost star lord's origin movie i guess and we didn't even know it and then not forget the great moment where groot takes out about 20 henchmen all at the same time in incredibly violent fashion this is his hulk smash moment i guess uh and then turning almost to the camera and the audience and giving us all a big proud cheesy smile so on that Colin, how was the comedy for you in this film? Did the jokes make you LOL or SMH? Oh, please don't. Oh no, <laughs> that makes my that makes me fucking SMH. I'm telling you that much. Um, yeah, no, right, no, I'm going to sound ignorant. I don't know what SMH is. Shake my Shake head. Shake my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, no. Yeah, no. I, I the comedy was really up my alley. Mm. Or, yeah, I really enjoyed the comedy in this one. Um, I think Chris Pratt's or Peter Quill was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Drax was great. Yeah. You know that message I sent you guys when I was like, I think I've changed my mind on Groot. Yes. I was going to ask you what bit. That was literally after that bit where <laughs> he's just completely destroyed all those guys and then turned around and smiled. But he was definitely growing on me throughout the film again. Great. Um, I, thought, I, I thought it could be one of three moments. I thought it could be the on. bit where he lights up the... Um, Lights up the room. Yeah. Or it could be the bit where he gives the he grows the flower for oh, that the, bit was the, good the girl. Yeah. Or that bit. 
I thought if you don't yeah. like him after that third yeah. bit, <laughs> yeah. you're never going to like Groot. Well, even almost like the uh, the um, gearing up montage, it almost looks like he shaves because he, he close up on his face and he, he, he plucks a little flower out of his face. Yeah. I think little mm. moments like that are very nice as you well. You saying as well about Chris Pratt's reaction to being called Star-Lord for the first time, when they're in that lineup earlier on and um, all the sort of facts are coming up about each of them on the screen, mm. they label him as Space Lord. So it's literally every, <laughs> every point in the film, people have been calling him the wrong thing until that moment and it works. Even the payoff about the Drax draw and the line across his throat worked yeah. really well in that moment. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Rob, uh, so again, you know, any, t- any highlights in terms of the comedy beats in Guardians for you? I, I, I'm a sucker for all the the little bits like chris pratt accidentally dropping the orb but catching it when he's supposed to be handing it over like (laughs) it wasn't planned or anything but he's such a good improviser that Mm -hmm. you can guarantee he's going to turn something funny into it i mean we're about to get to one of my favorite sort of funny moments as Ah. well but yeah i generally i think a lot of my favorite laughs come from rocket and um drax for me the bit when they're all talking about coming up with a plan. Oh, what? And there's yeah. the old 12. And so um, where th- the way... The, <laughs> the, how much Rocket starts laughing when they talk... <laughs> that bit killed me. That's man. not a real that laugh. Really got it's me. real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the, the kicker at the end of that, which, again, according to the... Audio commentary facts. Apparently, the the end line of that when um, Rocky's like, "Oh great, now we're just a bunch of jackasses in a circle." <laughs> when they've everyone stood up after saying, "I will join you" and all this sort yeah. of thing. Um, Sean Gunn, who is James Gunn's brother, also plays um, Craglin, which is like Yondu's assistant. But he was the on-set Rocket, sort of acting it out for the animators really so the yeah so the the, um the cast aren't then performing to literal nothing they had to have someone in there so sean gunn james gunn's brother as rob said is literally crouched on the floor anytime you see rocket there and they're they're performing to him yeah Mm. and he um he was the one that improvised that end line of great (laughs) now we're all standing up (laughs) a bunch of jackasses in a circle So, so good so good i love the amount of improvisation it really feels fresh it really feels um mm. yeah you can definitely feel there's some improv going on for yeah it doesn't feel still really weird and sort of tied down to the script but even when you have got the script in moments like i can imagine that the majority of that speech about yeah we're losers we've all lost something mm. um really works because you've got that scene before with drax where he kind of says sorry and he says, you know, I've been filled with rage and anger mm. and it's all to cover my loss and Rocket's just like, yeah, well, we've all got dead people. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it's so good. And they, they, you know, it, every scene sort of... But it's during that scene as well we get that it. amazing moment from Drax where they start talking about the plan and Drax criticises the plan and they're like, what are you <laughs> talking about? And he's like, I don't know, I stopped listening ten seconds ago. I started thinking about <laughs> <Yeah>. something else. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> His delivery of it is... <laughs> Oh, I was not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so let's continue then. Uh, So the damaged Dark Aster crash lands on Xandar with Groot sacrificing himself to shield the group. Ronan emerges from the wreck and prepares to destroy Xandar, but Quill distracts him, allowing Drax and Rocket to destroy Ronan's Warhammer. Quill grabs the freed stone and with Gamora, Drax and Rocket sharing its burden... They use it to vaporise Ronan. 
Now, Colin, I know we talk a lot about the emotion in MCU quite a lot, so I'm not going to ask you whether you cried or anything like that, but surely we maybe got a little misty-eyed at that beautiful shot of Rocket sitting alone on the floor crying when Drax sits next to him and gently rubs his back. Uh, To me, it's such a wonderful moment of humanity in this film. Yeah, man. Like I said, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the fact that it was a tree and a frigging raccoon and they're, they're, they're getting to me more than the humans are in films, yeah. which I don't know what that says about me, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, the, and even the Groot sacrificing himself bit like that actually got me, that got, that got me close. Yeah. Man. We got me real close. are Groot. I mm. bet you cried, didn't you? Um, I can remember getting a little emotional at that. Yeah, sure. And you know, that, that line just, it just had a life of its own after this film. There was yeah. T-shirts, We Are Groot. Oh, really? Um, graffiti all over the world saying We Are Groot. James Gunn ended up starting a um, a charity where people um, had to plant trees. And if they sent him proof that Damn. he'd plant a tree, I think he'd uh, give like, little rewards to people and stuff like that. This, yeah, that scene um, and Groot just took on a massive uh, life of its own. And Groot had a, wiping such a the tear impact. off of Rocket's face was there. It was powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah, so just that uh, that moment of Drax touching Rocket Raccoon's back and him flinching. I mean, F- Framestore, who did the um, animation on it and sort of did all the well, the majority of the Rocket work, just yeah, so good to to make it such a like you said, such a human yeah. moment. Mm. And yeah, it's just a, t- a quiet. I love those sort of moments where you just take a moment just to be quiet yeah, and just sort of not just on to the next thing straight away. And he's holding like a, a stick, isn't he? He's, he's just holding, holding like what's yeah. left. Yeah, it's it's really well done. I love it. It's one of my favourite bits of the film, I'll be honest. Yeah, uh, agreed. Uh, so, uh, Rob, again, uh, do you care to talk a little bit how, about how our heroes dispatch of Ronan? Because obviously this whole sequence, it starts with you know, the dance-off that saved the galaxy, um, and then ends with the team using an Infinity Stone to then kill Ronan. Well, it's like the, the rule of three, isn't it, in comedy, where you sort of, they've had the setup of him talking about Kevin Bacon and Footloose. Mm-hmm. Then you've got that wonderful line from Gamora when she's like, we're just like Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and then, just like Kevin Bacon, he dances to save. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? I love that line. It's like, I'm distracted, you, you turd blossom. <laughs> I think it really works. Yeah. You think you're going to get something generic and cheesy, and you get something completely the opposite. Yeah. And, then, and, and how powerful that moment is when they're all holding hands. Mm-hmm. And he sees his mum every time. I'm so that's what yeah, almost he's gets me. Possibly in this moment, as scared as he was. That's how I look at it anyway. He's as scared as he was in this moment as he was um, by his mother's by his mother's deathbed, and that is what reminds him of that moment. And looking over, it's obviously Gamora is trying to take his hand to try and, as I said, take on the burden of the power mm. the, the stone is giving out. Um, and he's terrified yet again to uh, to reach out, but this time he does it. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's so, um, so well done. And it, it's been so much time has passed since the opening that when it gets to it, it really works. Mm. It's not one of those things, you've, as soon as you see it, you think... That's how they're going to end it. No, like no way, it, it, yeah. it hits you so so out of left field. It's great, and then that line of "You said it yourself, bitch." Where the Guardians of the Galaxy, just amazing. <laughs> Do you remember the posters when it came out? There was there was loads of different posters, and I remember them all being incredible. 
Yeah, the first the the, the first poster they ever released of the Guardians, which I think it came out maybe even before the trailer, and it was just all of the Guardians stood looking heroic, and it just said, "You're welcome." <laughs> yes, the tagline. you're welcome. That was it. Yeah, so good. And just yeah, I think from that point on, I'm like, well, they, they've got a very different tone to any other sort of group of heroes mm-hmm. at this point you know we got the avengers as the comparison mm-hmm. and they're you know they're completely different they stand apart from them yeah it's sure. brilliant yeah um so how was this final sequence for you colin uh you know we've already had that large scale battle sequence right before it um should they have should they have kept it big or did you appreciate the scale getting slightly smaller for this smaller uh, for this final fight sequence yeah no i mean i agree with what rob said is that they could have easily just done a generic you know, another battle. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I really like the fact he started dancing. It made me smile. Mm. And then and then that moment when they're all grabbing onto the Infinity Stone. That bit was epic, man. That shot of them all holding onto and it. And it's so powerful. Know, the they're, they're all willing oh, maybe so to die good. in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I, I, um, I really liked it. Can't fault it. Awesome. That's so good to hear. And um, I haven't got it noted here, but I've just remembered <clears throat> in that big final battle sequence that i mentioned when they're all spaceships everywhere and stuff like that we do get my favorite line of the film uh it's uh peter once the nova corps finally arrived to rescue them shouts they got my dick message (laughs) oh yeah that was good (laughs) that is the best line of the film Um, (laughs) and how happy and like full of glee he is when he says it also, how good was John C. Riley in his, oh, his scenes? He's so good. He's, <laughs> John C. So Riley is always amazing. Um, he's very, very funny in this last sequence as well. Once um, they start talking about maybe different crimes that they can commit as well. Oh yeah. Um, oh, very yeah, deadpan yeah, yeah, yeah. in that, and very, very funny. Mm. So, uh, in the aftermath, Quill tricks Yondu into taking a container supposedly containing the stone, and gives the real stone to the Nova Corps. As the Ravagers leave Xandar. Yondu remarks that it turned out well that they did not deliver Quill to his father per their contract. Hmm. Quill's group, now known as the Guardians of the Galaxy, have their criminal records expunged and Quill learns that he is only half human, his father being part of an ancient unknown species. Quill finally opens the last present he received from his mother, a cassette tape filled with her favourite songs. The Guardians leave in their rebuilt Milano, along with a tiny little Groot who has now grown into a baby version of Groot. Um, so, quite a couple of next time babies here. Um, mm. Colin, are you intrigued to learn more about Peter as well? Because I know you said you're, quite, you, well, you're intrigued to know more about Rocket. Um, what about Peter Quill now? Well, without a doubt, man, yeah. And even, I can imagine we'll probably learn a bit more about Yondu as well and you know, because he was obviously working for someone. Chris, well, Peter's dad, or or someone that needed. Yeah, so there's a lot to delve into there, and and I'd love to see more. Let's just get on to number two, mate. Fuck the rest of the films. <laughs> you said the exact same after the Avengers as well. Patience is a virtue of these films, unfortunately. Oh uh, yeah, but I, if I've got to sit for another Iron Man three, then I can't be asked. Let's just get on with it. You know? Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Um, so, Rob, uh, one of my pet hates in films are when things are very clearly being set up when it has no real impact on the current film we're watching. But, to me, all of this completely works. Did it for you? Yeah, completely. Yeah, when you have a montage at the end of a film, it can be really 
you, you, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, I think. And then it's the fact that this, this soundtrack is tied so closely with you know his mum and what well, other the themes these aren't just cool songs being dropped in for the sake of cool songs mm-hmm. and when that awesome mix 2 comes out mm-hmm. and she you know she writes my little star lord oh all of that bit just ties together so like that's the reason he called himself star lord because of his mum it wasn't something trying to be i got goosebumps bigger then. than he was and things yeah and um Ain't No Mountain High Enough has to be the perfect song that she would give her. Because you, know, you think she wrote this in that letter. She's saying, well, I know you're scared and you're going for a lot. She knows she's going to die. Yeah. So the first thing, first song she wants him to hear in that final moment as well is, you know, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, that mm-hmm. she'll, you know, which is a, a beautiful song to, to keep have. me from loving you. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant, perfect, and I think like just ending on a song that's so emotionally charged and linked to his love with his mum mm-hmm. is yeah amazing. Yeah, one of the better endings for a Marvel film. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so, anything else you'd both like to mention, maybe before we jump into the ratings? It would be good to point out the relationship between Peter and Gamora. Of course, I yeah. Thought, How was that for you? Oh, I was my my favourite out of all of them so far in terms of like male female oh, relationship. I, I love the fact that at the point where in a few films back they would have had their first kiss, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. And yeah. she, just, she kicks me in the ball. She's not like slapping. Yeah, that's it. Something and like, she says, yeah, I'm not going to really succumb remember. to your pelvic sorcery. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then and, you know, when he ends up saving her, when, the, when, she gets, when her ship gets destroyed and that, that whole bit was great. I thought... They they nailed that mm-hmm. um, storyline between. But those then he really two. messes really up genuine. after he saves her, doesn't he? Because he then he says he, he looked at it as the perfect opportunity to be a hero. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But that just makes it funny. Yeah. Though, it, was yeah. like, it, it was a much more of an organic relationship build than just like hot guy, hot girl, yeah. fuck eyes done. <laughs> you know, like there was a lot. There was a lot more to it than that, and How I really good appreciate was that. that. Um, it's such a little moment that um, Gamora does as well, where he's playing ain't no mountain high enough and she's looking at him knowing what that means to him and but she also has a little dance she does a little tiny little dance to mm. herself it's just yeah it's um mm-hmm. that's that's how you do it yeah and i'm intrigued i'm intrigued about her and um nebula because do, yeah do they mention that they're like thanos's daughters they are thanos's adopted daughters oh, so okay, he has okay. obviously plucked them from somewhere and he's raised yeah. them to be sort of warriors okay. i I'm guess sure. um yeah. but obviously gamora um has now turned against him and mm. maybe nebula as well she's off somewhere she, she like flew it, off right? so yeah. that could potentially as well i reckon we'll be a next time baby <laughs> i think we'll see a next time i think we'll see those two end up having a bit of a you know mm. uh, uh, that that isn't going to come uh, through a in moment podcast audio or form, maybe a little <laughs> partnership no i don't think a partnership i reckon maybe a, a moment we'll call it okay a moment cool i like yeah. these little theories this is cool well you know i'm excited about yeah this one, it's good so. <laughs> uh rob anything else you'd like to say so i'm intrigued to know what, what colin thinks because the film doesn't spell this out so that baby group do you think mm. that's the same group or do you think that's a new being I, I imagine it's probably is it one of the the twigs from when he sacrificed himself yeah so if you replant a plant, is it the same plant? Ooh, now we're getting there. Mm. I mean, shit, we might be getting a bit too deep here, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so I don't... 
I don't know. George's painkillers. This is the perfect time for us to get into this conversation. <laughs> what does George think? Um, I don't know. George um, is still trying not to cry. We are. Group. George is still trying not to cry. <laughs> Rob re- reminding him that um, his mum used to call him Star Lord. <laughs> oh dear. I guess that that would be the the question back. Is is the offshoot of a plant that then grows into a plant? Is it the same so plant? So if we Probably see not, Groot again, part of it, right? um, Colin. Do you want yeah. us to continue with this little baby Groot, or would you hope that he's fully grown by then? Personally, I would hope he's fully grown. Mm. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they keep the baby one just because it's much cuter <laughs> and it'll probably sell a lot more merchandise. <laughs> and you know Disney are in there at some point with their you know, their checkbooks mm. and their the dollar signs in their eyes going how do I don't make think as Disney were prepared for Guardians to be a success. No Remember at the time there was no merch. Really? People were just like Right, we won a rocket, like, and they, obviously they made merch. But mm. to start off with, there was definitely not. I, I remember going. thinking the same. Even after the trailer, I was like, "I need to get me some rocket merchandise," and there was nothing. There was no mm. Guardians merch. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I love that moment of of yeah, little baby Groot dancing his pot, and uh, that bit was and good, Drax yeah, sort yeah. of trying to spot him and yeah, <laughs> freezing. That, cool. that was a nice. Did you know? <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do one deep one per episode. People's <laughs> bowels can't take it. That is um James Gunn provided the um reference footage for the dancing. So the dancing that Baby Groot does is James Gunn's own dance style. Huh. Yeah. I love that too. Is that someone's trivia? Mm. <laughs> Is that your trivia, George? It's not my trivia, no. Um, okay. But I've, I Don't panic. Know. I panic every time Rob does his little <laughs> horns. Um, so, uh, shall we jump in to our ratings out of five? So, I'm sure you all know that we have a Letterboxd account. Uh, Rob has an account. Uh, so, actually, no. We have one account for Colin Rain versus the MCU, but three different ratings. So, Colin's got his, I've got mine, and Rob's got his. And we're all rating the films out of five, and then also um, putting them in order of how we think the films are as well. So, by the time we reach the end of this endeavour, we shall all have our own individual rankings. Um, so, Rob... Out of five. 4.5. Ooh, lovely. Um, Ronan is what stops it. Yeah. From being a five. Colin John Brain. 4.5. That's that's big, mate. That's what you gave Avengers. Yeah. So this is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually think I preferred it over Avengers. Excellent. So this was your th- favourite entry so far this in the goes, MCU. This goes to the top top of the list for me, yeah. That's awesome. Um, for me, it's 4.5 out of 5. Uh, I there love the go. tone. I'm obsessed with the characters and the performances. I love all the songs. I know we've mentioned it as well, but it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Ronan, again, is why we lose half a point. And Thanos on the toilet. And Thanos sitting on the toilet. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but another reason why I like this one so much is because it really felt like a breath of fresh air in the in the franchise mm-hmm. as well. Like, I've got to be honest, when I put this on this morning, or well, earlier, it wasn't this morning, it was a bit later on in the day, I was starting to think, like, oh, it's another one. No. Like, even, <laughs> no, 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 honestly, even though I enjoyed... Um, Winter Soldier. What was the last one we watched? Winter Soldier. I did enjoy that, but it almost felt like I needed a bit of a palate cleanser, and, like, this was way way better than i was expecting it to be i mean i know i saw it on a plane mm-hmm. god knows how many years ago but like i said probably fell asleep halfway through and also i hadn't watched any other mcu yeah. films so none of it would have really mm-hmm. gone in um so yeah it felt like i really needed this one 
to like give me that pick me up because so far phase two and you guys were banging on about how amazing it is and i'm sat there like eh, they're okay <laughs> you know but this <laughs> this is what i needed yeah. to kind of bring me back in so yeah, i'm happy i'm happy with this one awesome Definitely. i love that you know too much for your own good now that's what i call using the old head so shall we jump into trivia uh who went first last time because i always forget Okay, right. I've got a few options. Oh, trying to weigh up choices. What, Damn, a few? Trying to weigh up what old Mr. Brain will, would want. Let's right, go. I'm going to go this one. So, James Gunn, being, a, as we discussed, a very friendly and um, likeable director, he would keep little piles of Play-Doh containers on the set. And if someone did a good job, whether it be an actor, crew member, or whatever, they would win a pot of Play-Doh. <laughs> and James Gunn said that he gave out 40 pots over an 85-day shoot. He says, I love the smell of Play-Doh. Opening a new container and smelling it puts me in a creative, childlike place. And who doesn't love playing with Play-Doh? That's cool. Balls. Because that was very good. I like that a lot. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I love James Gunn, so that makes me love him even George, more. George, is he... Okay, um, so I mentioned earlier on <laughs> that obviously they're the Guardians of the Galaxy, the actual team themselves, is, has in the comics been quite a revolving door of members. Um, one of the members in Guardians was actually a telepathic Soviet dog who'd been sent into space uh, called Cosmo. Uh, he actually ended up becoming the security chief of the space station in Nowhere before eventually becoming a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and he never really got on with Rocket. So James Gunn is a little nice little nod to the comics and to the creators of um, Cosmo. Uh, he is actually in the collector's collection and he's that little dog sitting there with the space suit on and the space helmet and as they all walk past he even growls at rocket um to sig signify that little relationship they used to have in the comic books as well i like that i did pick up on that while not knowing that he was from mm, the comics, he used to be like yeah he was a member of... of the actual guardians really? of the galaxy in the comic Christ. books yeah cosmo because he is he that's the same dog licking his face in the post credit in the, in the other yeah, scene. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're both good, but I think George, you can agree with me on this one. Rob's was better Full this, this week, so Rob gets yeah. the point. Nicely yeah. done, mate. I've got. I'm going to read what my other one was, and not just to be show offy, but because I forgot to mention it earlier when I said Excelsior. Did you know there was originally going to be? a very different Stan Lee cameo. So originally James Gunn had planned that they were going to be, the guardians were going to be walking through the collector's vault and or possibly where your trivia was going to be, where Cosmo was going to be. They were going to walk past Stan Lee and Stan Lee was going to flip the bird at rocket. <laughs> what? And Disney were like, Nope, you need to figure something else. <laughs> was he going to be in a? Was he going to be in a spacesuit like the dog, or was he just? I have be no idea. <laughs> no, they don't say. But I thought that was fucking amazing. Slipping him the bird, incredible. So uh, yeah, that's that for another week. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, please take a look in our episode description for links to our social media channels and our letterbox accounts. Uh, we'd love to know if you know your own doing your if you're doing your own MCU rewatch uh, because. 
As always, we'd love to have some of you on this journey with us too. So moving on to next week, Colin, we're slowly starting to finish off phase two here. So any idea where we could be going next? Right, well, have we done... Have we done four of phase we two? We thought in phase two was for the dark world. No, no, I mean, have we done four as in one, Sorry. two, three, four? Have we watched four <laughs> of phase two? <laughs> um, and so we six, had right? Iron Man three. Phase? We had Thor: the dark world, yeah. Captain America, the winter soldier yeah. and guardians of the galaxy. There yes. are six films in phase okay. two. So I would have said Avengers, but I'm guessing number six would be event. The next Avengers. Right. Um, so I, I have no clue because we've had another Iron mm. Man. We've had another Thor, we've had another Captain America, we've now been introduced to Guardians of the Galaxy. We're not going to get another Hulk because we know that that's not mm. happening on its own. Um, I mean, I would hope it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but that wouldn't make <laughs> a lot of sense because um, <laughs> they, they, they would have made it in time. Um, so I can imagine we're going to be introduced to something different again oh. or we're going to get the third Thor or the third Captain America. Okay, interesting. Am I close? Who knows? Because Was next week, all bollocks. <laughs> we are watching the Avengers. Oh, Age okay. of Ultron. Hmm, <laughs> it's Avengers time, okay. baby. <laughs> Interesting. Let's go, like Colin. Say bye. <laughs> Take it easy, bye. Rob, say bye. We are grouped. I love that. Nice. Goodbye. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. I fear we have not seen the last of him. And we're not done just yet, listeners. So, in a post-credit scene, Tavan the Collector sits in his destroyed archive with two of his living exhibits: a canine cos- a canine cosmonaut, and an anthropomorphic duck. Rob, care to explain who or what that is? That, unlike me, who is I'm Howard the fuck. <laughs> He's Howard the duck. Hmm. who had one of the weirdest films ever previously. Have you ever seen it? Either of you? The, uh, no, the old... but I know it's known as one of the worst films ever made. You need to see it. It's so balmy. <laughs> Just It's an experience. It's one of those films that you get a load of friends over, you all yeah, get a takeaway yeah. in, you drink a load, and you just sort of dip in and out of it and go, What? <laughs> What's going on? Um, so, yeah, I remember seeing this in the cinema and um, my now wife, my girlfriend at the time, going, what the hell's that? We waited for that because we waited all through the Christmas. I was like, that is Howard the Duck. I have no idea how she's still with me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that is Howard the Duck. I know. Made me I can't so believe happy they're doing that it. we saw him in the MCU. Um, Do you know who voices him? Seth Green, if I'm correct. Yeah, mm. who's apparently a friend of James Gunn's. But interestingly, mm. what you were saying as well about Cosmo, the um, the dog, mm. James Gunn on the audio commentary facts. Never had one in the post credit. I don't think he was saying people were asking him after release of the film 
is Cosmo now going to be a member of the Guardians? And he said no, because having a real-life dog, like a live-action dog in the same scene as Rocket, kind of diminishes the realness of Rocket. Mm. You, it sort of sees something that's a live-action animal and something that's supposed to be a live-action animal. Yeah. Mm. is too sort of it, it could sort of take people out of it a bit so he said he wanted to pay homage to it but not yeah not ruin also brings really the built. question um maybe a silly question will we see howard the duck again <laughs> well colin next time baby uh again next time, thank baby. you so much for listening everyone that was a lot of fun stay what say you literally didn't you haven't asked me what i thought of the post credit scene already you know what i did have it noted but then i thought is it just a fart in the wind this post credit what did you think i just thought it was incredibly yes. random that was all i really thought <laughs> But other than that, I mean, yeah, whatever. Exactly. You're going to lick like, your face? This is just going it, to... It's just... It's nonsensical, but it's just a bit of fun. Mm. Yeah. I'm surprised with with Avengers being the next film, though. They didn't do, like, a kind a t- of... A little um, intro to maybe what's going to happen in Avengers? Or or even just, like, a the event... Or the next Avengers is coming. Or did did you already know that when this We knew that out? was, was already... next. Oh, okay. Um, and, right, cool. okay, this little sequence can maybe go on a bit longer, but you've already had a small little introduction to Avengers Age of Ultron in a post-credit scene, but not this post-credit scene. Can you potentially remember the post-credit scene for, was it the Winter Soldier, Rob? Winter Soldier, yeah. Maybe when we saw two individuals? Oh, yeah, the dude, the, the, the girl. One of them was, like, bouncing around in a cage, and the other one was playing with fire or something, weren't he? Was it those two? See you next week. Next time, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy.